Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts is where we will find ourselves today as we continue uh, our series entitled Church on the Move. We have been working our way uh, through the book of Acts, and uh, we find ourselves today in chapter 18. Acts chapter uh, 18 is where we will uh, pick up as we continue our journey. And uh, if you've been with us through this journey, uh, it has been an exciting one. Uh, we've had the opportunity to see the Lord do many incredible things uh, through the life of the, the disciples, the apostles, uh, the early church. And uh, we have been taking our time uh, looking at the historical backdrop of where we come from. Uh, as those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as a church, uh, we have had the opportunity to see uh, where we have come from historically, uh, geographically. We have seen how the gospel has moved throughout different regions of our world, uh, how God has shown himself strong. And uh, if you remember, uh, Jesus Christ uh, told the disciples that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And, uh, and so the book of Acts is broken down into those areas. And so we find ourselves in chapter 18 uh, in the remotest part of the earth section. And uh, the Apostle Paul, the human instrument that God is using, is uh, winding his way with plenty of help directed by the Spirit of God. He's going into different cities and areas, and he's sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, many times when he would share uh, you will see that there is normally a revival or a riot or both, in some cases, both. And uh, so today we will continue uh, that journey. Uh, if you were not with us last week, just to kind of recap where we uh, were, uh, the Apostle Paul was in Athens, in Athens, Greece. And uh, he was at Mars Hill and he had been sharing the gospel throughout the city and in the marketplace. And he got invited uh, to this council to be able to tell about Jesus Christ. And uh, he spent his time there preaching and sharing. And uh, there were three responses to his message. You, you saw some sneer or laugh, uh, laugh it off. You saw some delay. But then you also saw some believe. And I believe that those are still the same ways in which people respond to this day. Now, you might be curious as to the message that he preached. Well, what he did was he took an understanding of God as creator God being good and God being great and God being gracious. And he walked them through the history of God's work and the desire that he has for people to be saved, that he wants people to understand who he is and not that he lives in temples or that he needs us or that we can make idols or anything of that nature. And so he took time to explain that history. But then he made a very a strong statement that God is now declaring that, that everyone, all people everywhere, uh, must repent because he has fixed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And he has given us Jesus as that standard. And so we saw that last week. We saw the movement uh, of Paul in uh, Athens and how he preached the good news. Today we're going to make a trip and we're going to be uh, moving to Corinth. Now that should sound familiar to you because there are two letters uh, in the New Testament uh, to the Corinthians. And so these would be the individuals that he's dealing with. And so we're going to get a chance to see the history uh, behind uh, what will happen in Corinth to be able to produce these letters. Now let me just give you a little backdrop about uh, Corinth and then we will jump in here together. 
Corinth. It was a large city. Uh, most historians look at the population around the time in which the Apostle Paul entered at about 200,000 people. You know, that's a large city. That makes Jonesboro look like a little town. And so a very large place. Uh, it was a city that uh, was known for its trade because of its location. It was a city that also was known for uh, its temples and its, its uh, sites for worship. Uh, specifically, there was a group there uh, that temple prostitution was uh, very strong. And uh, so in the evenings, the, the prostitutes would go out into the city. And uh, so it was a very immoral place. And as a matter of fact, when people wanted to talk about sins and vices, they would just use the word Corinthians. And most people would associate immorality and sinfulness with that area. Uh, just from a historical backdrop, uh, the Apostle Paul, whenever he wrote Romans chapter one, uh, this would be a good quiet time for somebody this week. He was actually in Corinth when he wrote that particular portion of Scripture historically. And so this this area, this city was known for uh, not only its decadence, not only its philosophy, but also uh, its immorality. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a great place to plant a church. I don't know about y'all, but that's the way in which I see it. Now, just to zoom in a little bit on the Apostle Paul, uh, he was going through a very difficult time, though, as he's coming into Corinth. If you remember, he had already been beaten uh, multiple times. He had already spent a night in prison. And so whenever God was working and moving, uh, whenever people began to be changed and transformed, uh, most of the time he was experiencing some sort of physical suffering, some sort of physical beating or imprisonment or some hardship. Now, Jesus had already told him he was going to experience those things. But how many of you know being told one thing and experiencing it are two totally separate things? And so he was now experiencing these things. So when he comes into Corinth, uh, as a matter of fact, he's having a difficult time. I want to highlight for you just one passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, just, to, just to give you kind of a, a backdrop before we jump into this section. He says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, says this, I was with you, talking to the Corinthians, he says this, I was with you. Notice how he describes himself. I was with you in weakness, right, and in fear and in much trembling. So I want you to think about this. Most of the time we think about the Apostle Paul, man's man, great apostle. And I believe all these things are true. But he also experienced hardship and difficulty just like we do. He experienced real fear. He experienced real struggle. And so I believe that today we're going to have an opportunity to see how he can, can overcome these things. Now, the title of the message today is what to do when you want to quit. Anybody ever wanted to quit something in their life before? I'm done. I'm getting my ball. And I'm going home. I'm through with y'all. Yeah. You know, in life, we find ourselves sometimes in very difficult places, difficult situations, difficult relationships. And I believe that today uh, before us, I think we're going to see a great model uh, before us about how we can find the steadfastness that we need in moments of difficulty. You see, I believe before us in our passage, we have three movements. There's three main sections that we're going to look at. And so I'll just give those to you if you're taking notes. The first one, we're going to see that in order to, to make it through those hard times when we want to quit, we need to first and foremost enjoy the benefit of genuine community. You see, I think a lot of us, we live our life like long rangers. We live out on an island. We are siloed off, and that can make it very challenging. And we have to be willing to live our lives in genuine community. Now, let me just say to you, 
it, it can be complicated in community. It can be complicated when you get in a group in a room full of people that might be different from you. But I believe if you have a genuine group, uh, it can help you in this endeavor. The second thing we're going to see is we have to remember the assurance of fellowship with the Lord. We're going to see this in a very vivid way uh, in the Apostle in Apostle Paul's life. He's going to have a vision, a, a meeting with Jesus, and it's going to be very important what he tells him. And the last thing we're going to see is we have to be willing to accept the reality of consistent opposition. Now, I know that's going to sound real negative, but I just go ahead and say it now. If you desire to honor the Lord with your life, if you desire to take Jesus seriously, if you desire to live a life in which you see people come to know him and you grow in your relationship, let me just tell you, you should expect there to be opposition at every front in your life. I'm not saying that Jesus is not going to give you the ability to overcome those things. I'm not saying that there's not going to be victory. I'm just saying to you, there's going to be a tension that you feel as you seek to be faithful to the Lord. And we must be honest about that. So we're going to see that these things play out before us. So I hope you've had an opportunity to find uh, Acts chapter 18. Our first section is verses one through four. Acts 18, verse one. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working. For by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So let's just talk about the occasion here, this first section, this idea of enjoying genuine community. Uh, we, we're going to see that in the Apostle Paul's life, uh, this genuine community, uh, when he comes into Corinth, let me just say to you, uh, there's no, no indication in the text that when he came into Corinth that he came in with other individuals, other believers with him. Uh, the, the sense is that he came in by himself. And so early on we see that God provides for him a, a, a couple, a husband and wife, to, to become friends with. And they, by trade, are tent makers, the Bible tells us. And Paul, being a, a teacher, a rabbi, they would have an occupation. So his was, he made tents in leather work. And so God brings together this unlikely group. Now, let me just say to you on the front end, that I believe that to enjoy genuine community, it's important for us to remember that our brothers and sisters in Christ can encourage us when we need it most. That many times in our lives, whenever we are going through a difficult season or a difficult, a difficult patch, that I believe God has brought us into a family whenever he saves us. And that because he has brought us into a family, now he can utilize that family, those brothers and those sisters, to be able to bring encouragement in times of strain and struggle. Now, the circumstances are, are, are very difficult. So I want you to think about this, what's going on in Aquila and Priscilla's life and in Paul's life. Paul just leaves Athens, uh, having had a very difficult time in Thessalonica. Aquila and Priscilla, they're like, listen, you got to leave Italy, Rome, uh, because the, the, the person that's in charge, Claudius, the, the leader, he's, he says that the Jews all have to leave Rome. Now, historically speaking, 
what's going on around this time. There are many historians that believe that there was riots that were going on uh, in Rome and they were about this individual named Christus. And now that name might sound familiar to you. And most of us think that what was happening there was the riots were happening because Christ, the message of Christ was beginning to spread. And so you had all these back and forth people going back and forth. So he says, all right, y'all can't get along. Just leave. We're going to kick you out. All the Jews, you got to go. And so now underneath these circumstances, you see this husband and wife, they come and now they connect. They connect in Corinth. Now, the text does not indicate for us whether Aquila and Priscilla were already believers in Jesus. There are great arguments that they were believers in Jesus and there are great arguments that they weren't believers in Jesus. And the Apostle Paul actually evangelized them and helped to share, share the gospel with them and they became believers. All right. So so you can decide where you land there. But ultimately, what I want you to see is that these this individual, Paul and this married couple, the connection that they have now, they come out of a very difficult season in which which they were kicked out of their home and which Paul was having a very difficult time in his own ministry and life. And they come together and the Bible says that they work together. Can I just tell you, in this time, it's so important for us to find brothers and sisters who have the same heart the same hands who have the same desire whenever we are challenged with things that are before us. You see, I believe the Bible is very clear that we are to be together in this thing. Can I just give you a passage that the Apostle Paul, the same one, will share in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2? I want you to see this. Galatians 6, 2 says this. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Everybody see that right there? Meaning we, not, we might not feel it the way others feel it. We might not have the same thing going on. But we want to work together and walk together in such a way that we seek to bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ to love each other. The next thing I want us to see, though, in this section is that them coming together is a great reminder that God, uh, he can use our disappointments and our disappointments can become divine appointments. That God can take the challenging things in our life and he can utilize them and capitalize them on them to do great things. Now, let me just say it this way. In community, genuine community, I believe that these are the things that you find. You ready? You're going to find grace. You're going to find love. You're going to find encouragement. You're going to find help. And when I say help, I mean physical, mental and spiritual. You're going to find growth. You're going to be able to grow. And also, I believe ultimately, hopefully, you're going to find some fun, too, because for some reason, when we get in the church, most people just think we all time serious around here. And I, I'm just telling you, that's not the case. I don't I can't think of any group of people that should have more exciting, fun times in this life than folks that love Jesus. That doesn't mean that we're always going to be happy. It doesn't mean we're always going to get our way. But the majority of our lives, when you think about joy, when you think about what God has done, I find that, that we should have a, a good time with each other in the body of Christ. Let me just say those one last time, and we'll look at this in the next movement. Grace, love, encouragement, help that's physical, mental, and spiritual, fun, and also growth. And I want you to remember as well from this text many times that our disappointments are God's divine appointments. Now, having seen the connection here, we're going to be introduced to Aquila and Priscilla later on, so I don't want to preach on them too much. We're going to get them next time. I want us to look at the fact that not only do we benefit from genuine community, but I want us to look at we have to remember the assurance and fellowship with the Lord 
Let's look at verses 5 through 11. Verse 5 says this, But when Silas and Timothy, they came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the work, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was a Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now, let's look at this second movement that we have to remember the assurance of fellowship with the Lord. Now, when we look at what Jesus said to, to Paul, I, I, I can just see many of you thinking, well, if Jesus appeared to me in a night vision, I'd be fine, too. But can I tell you, in the Great Commission, Jesus has appeared to us. In the Great Commission, do you remember what he said after he told us to go and to mark the disciples by baptism and making disciples by sharing the good news and maturing the disciples by teaching them? You remember what he said? He said, and lo, I'm with you. How long? How long? Even to the end of the age? Catch this now. He said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So I'm just telling you, we have, we have this fellowship, this assurance of fellowship with Jesus. Now, now in, this, in this section before us, I believe that Silas and Timothy, whenever they come, they uh, encourage the Apostle Paul. And, and this is the way, y'all might not see it like this, but this is the way I see it. Gr growing up, did anybody ever have a group of friends or an older brother or somebody like that? Let me just see that you hung around with regularly. Okay, yeah. And did anybody ever have a time where maybe like a bully or somebody was messing with you? Anybody ever had that? And, uh, and the bully or whoever it was was messing with you, right? And you were kind of giving in to what the bully had going on. But when your boys rolled up, when, you, when your sisters rolled up, or when your older sibling rolled up, you were like, what's up now? You were ready now. You got all excited. So I, I don't, for some reason, when I read this section here, I, I got a, a great story, but I ain't got the time to tell it. But when I read this section right here, 5 through 11, in the Apostle Paul's life, whenever we read, he, it says he came in and he came in and, you know, he was weak and he was fearful and all that. But did you see what happened when the boy showed up? When Silas and Timothy showed up, Notice this. A, he quit making tents. All right. He said, let me get back to the work. Y'all brother work. Let me get back to what God called me to do. That's the first thing. But the, but the next thing, notice what it says here. It says this. He completely, notice this. He started sharing the word and he started testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So he came in timid and, you know, he was just kind of playing around. But when the brother showed up, he went ahead and said, well, I got my boys with me now. Let's go ahead and do this. And he was emboldened and he was encouraged and he was strengthened and he preached Jesus. I just want to encourage you here 
that I know sometimes maybe you feel like you're on an island. And one of the things I love about Sunday morning is that we all come in here together. And what it lets me know is, is I'm not alone in this thing. That we come in here, we, we not all crazy. We all can't be crazy, right? All these people, we might be, no, we not. We, we all ain't crazy. All these years, all these individuals have laid their lives down, have followed, have done, have gone to country after country to be able to share and see lives change. That encouragement and that boldness that comes when they show up is incredible. But now, there's still a real threat, though. And this is what I want y'all to hear me say, that just because we are encouraged, just because we are emboldened, just because we are excited does not mean that there's not a real threat. There is a real threat. There's a real threat in this text, and there's a real threat even today. The enemy, whenever lives are being changed and transformed, he wants to stir up mess so that will stop. He wants to make changes, leadership changes. He wants to make policy changes. That's, that's what he desires to do to be able to stop. Whenever ministry has been happening, people are being saved, lives are being changed, marriages coming back together, families having generational change and encouragement, salvation. I promise you, when your life is, is doing those types of things for the king and his kingdom, you should expect there to be mess stirred up. Most of the time we get caught off guard. Like, right, we roll and we see folks in our family getting saved. We're like, yes. And then the next day we wake up, bam, we get hit in the jaw with something crazy. Tire flat, car tore up, you know, house about to burn down, you know, kids going crazy. We're like, what happened? I thought we was riding good, Lord. What happened? And we get shocked. But hear me now. The enemy loves to stir up mess to keep us from our primary objective. If we can be working on all these other things over here, we won't get to the sea, to the eternal peace. So notice what happens. Where does the stir up happen? It's right here in the text. It's right here in the text. He was preaching Jesus strong, verse 6. But when they, they notice this, they resist, they blaspheme. Notice what he does. What did he do? Shook his garment out. That, that, that's a way in our day, kind of like wash, I'm washing my hands of this. Meaning, look, it's on you now. It's not on me. I have already done what I'm supposed to do. It's on you. So this is a, the, the way in which he is handling himself here. When he says, I'm clean. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. This is an act of judgment in which he is showing them they are the ones. You made your bed, now you got to lie in it. Now, in the midst of this rejection, though, God is still showing up. How so, preacher? Thank you for asking. In the midst of this rejection, two individuals are named in the text as giving their life to Jesus. Did you see it? Number one, we see a, a brother, Gentile brother. Titus Justice, notice this, a worshiper of God, his house was next to the synagogue. Now, I love this right here. When the Jews tell Paul, we don't want what you, what you offering, you know what God does? He sets him up right next door. How awesome is that? <laughs> so all that, you get to see all these people going in, see their lives being changed and transformed, all these Corinthians going in. I can just see them with the blinds down. What's going on over there? What, what's going on in that place? Right next door, he sets him up. And can I tell you, I believe this was intentional because did you see what happened to the one who was over the, over the synagogue? What happened to him? Did y'all read it? What happened to him? What happened? Somebody tell me. Verse 8, Christmas, the leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord. How about that? <laughs> so just whenever you hear me now, because the strain and the struggle and the mess and the rejection is going on does not mean that God is not working. We, we, we see right here. Right here that, that the Lord handles this external mess, this external mess. And we see this brother, Titus Justice, and as well as Crispus, the synagogue leader, they, they're saved. But not just them. Now look at verse 8. Did y'all read it? 
and how many other Corinthians? Many of them. Many other Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Now, verse 9 and 10 should shock us a little bit because we're thinking, man, all this great ministry is going on. But the Apostle Paul is struggling. Verse 9, and the Lord said in the night by vision, do not be afraid. Did everybody see that? Can I ask you a question? Why do y'all think the Lord Jesus told the Apostle Paul not to be afraid? Why do y'all think he said it? Because he was afraid. That's not a trick question. Y'all wait a minute. That's not because he was afraid. He was afraid. Let me just give it to you for sake of time. In this vision, we're going to break it down. There are three things I want you to see that the Lord highlights. The first thing he tells him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And the reason why. He says what he says in verse nine is because in verse 10, he assures him of three things. Y'all ready for it? Presence, promise, productivity. Presence, promise, productivity. He looks at him and he says, do not be afraid. You, if you read the Old Testament, you know he told the same thing to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel. Who, who else? We got plenty of them in there. Just about everybody. The Lord is always telling them, do not be afraid. And after he tells him, do not be afraid, I love this, that he gives him a reason to not be afraid. In this vision, it's a reminder that the circumstance, the consequence, there there might be some difficulties. But hear me now. God is faithful. God is faithful. So the first thing he tells him is his 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 presence. Verse 10 says this, for I am with you. Everybody see that? For I am with you. Can I ask you a quick question? Around December, we're going to get to singing, go tell it on the mountain, right? We're going to go, oh, come all ye faithful, right? There's a name that's used most of the time only around Christmas for Jesus. That's Emmanuel. Everybody know that one, right? You might even have an ornament say, Emmanuel, right? What does Emmanuel mean? Who with us? Where? Okay, God with us. Everybody with me so far? So when we look at this, I know it's easy to say, oh, for Paul, this is great. He said, I'm with you. But guess what? He with us as well. He already said it. How long he going to be with us? Always. How long? To the end of the age. So the promise, the first piece is presence. Now, why is presence so important? Well, very important because who you're rolling with matters. Who you you are rolling with matters. Can I just give you all just two supplementals? Somebody need a, a... a memory verse to write on your mirror in your, in your bathroom. Let me just give you one. You ready for it? Isaiah, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Y'all ready? I'm going to give you two, as a matter of fact, like a zebra cake pack. We're going to get two right here. <laughs> Isaiah 41, 10. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Now, this section is under the section Israel's encouragement. God used this in my own life personally. Isaiah 41, 10. Here we go. Do not fear. Everybody see that? Why not, Lord? For I am with you. Do not anxiously do what? Look about you, right? We all looking around. Just let that text sit for a minute. We all looking around. We looking at Afghanistan. We all looking around. We looking south at at the hurricane coming. We all looking around. We got all these things to look around. We all looking around masks. We're looking at sickness. We're looking at rates. We're looking. We always looking around. But he says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about. Why not? For I am your God. 
It gets better. Y'all want to see? Y'all want to? Y'all want me to read the rest of it? Come on with it. I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you. Surely, I will help you. Surely, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Y'all like that? Y'all want some more? That's not it. <laughs> Let's give them the zebra cake. Y'all ready for it? Verse 13. Verse 13. Y'all ready? Isaiah 41. Verse 13. Y'all ready for it? For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear. Say it with me. I will help you. I will help you. For I am the Lord, your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. You see, I just find that these, these verses, they remind us of God's presence. They remind us of his, his closeness. You know, we serve a big God, transcendent, but we also serve an imminent God, one, one who is now close, present. And, and what we have to be willing to do is in these moments, trust. And number one, he's reminding him, listen, I, I'm with you. I'm right here. And not all the time do you see your support, but the support is there. We have to be willing. We have to be willing to believe and to trust. Notice this promise. Did you see this? Y'all ready for this? He's going to give him a promise. He says, I'm with you. Notice his promise. And no man will attack you in order to harm you. Y'all see that right there? Now, if you're the Apostle Paul, it's great to get this promise because you've already been whacked in the head with stones, been left for dead. You've already been beat over the back with rods and put in jail. So this, this, this matters to you. You Apostle Paul are like, what? I ain't going to get beat up this time. Nope, not this time. You're not going to get beat up. So he's, he gives him a promise. And can, let me just encourage somebody over here on this side of the room. Tell you something about God. Whenever he promises, guess what he cannot do? Lie. Cannot lie. So that means whenever he says it, that is exactly what he will do. So the promise here is very important. As a matter of fact, there are thousands of promises in the Bible, thousands of them. Now, here's the problem, though. Most of them are conditional, and you have to know which ones are conditional and which ones are not. A lot of times we claim in conditional promise, yes, God, that's mine, but you didn't do the condition, right? You didn't do what it said to be able to experience this, right? Can I just give you a promise real quick? He gives him a promise. Can I just give y'all a promise that Jesus has given to us? Y'all don't seem too disagreeable. Let me just do it quickly. John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. See, some of us in the faith, we, we think this earth is our home, but this is not it. Y'all ready for this? John 14, 1. Let's look at it together. Y'all ready? Y'all look ready. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now let this thing, let this, let's, let, verse, let, let this verse coming up next, verse 3. Let's let this thing seep in now. If I go and prepare a place for you, y'all ready for this? I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, just let, just let that hang right there. We are living in a very tumultuous time. Jesus already told us he is going to prepare a place. He has something going on. 
This is a promise right here that he is going to come and he's going to receive us to himself. He's going to come and get us. Now, I'm just telling you, I already read the back of the book. I don't know if y'all have done that yet, but it's going to get real raggedy around here. If you think it's bad now, it's really going to get raggedy. Okay, so the promise has already been given. Now, this is where we come in. Our response to the promise matters. This is what I mean. Whether or not you believe the promise is not going to change whether it's true or false. He's already going to do what he says. But how you handle the promise will affect how you live. If you believe the promise and you are allowing that to operate and guide your life, then it will, it will direct how peaceful you are or how, how upset you are when certain things go a certain way. If you are allowing the promise to come in, to nestle in. But if you keep it at a distance, then it will affect how you, how you, how you handle the things that are going on. Just hear me now. Whether you believe it or not, it's still going to happen. But, but where the change or the difference that I see in many believers is, is how they handle the promises. Some of them, A, don't even know that they are in there. Some of them, B, know it, but haven't been willing to hold on to it. And some of them, listen to me, you know it, and you hanging on dike. And you know, God, if you said it, I can believe it. My encouragement each and every week, find you one in here, make a distinction whether or not this thing is conditional or not. If it's conditional, make sure you handle the conditional piece. And if it's not, you just hang on that thing and watch God do what he does. But he promises him. He gives him a promise. And can I just tell you that promise coming from that word, that presence and that promise. Notice what it says in verse 11 about our boy. Did you see what it says about the apostle Paul? How long did he stay in Corinth? My man stayed in that thing. A year and six months, 18 months, do your thing, Paul, in one of the most wicked, vile cities. He stays there 18 months. Can I ask y'all a quick question? Why y'all think he stayed so long? Why do you think? Because he knew he had the presence and he knew he had the what? Promise. But guess what? There's one more piece. I gave you three piece productivity. Notice what he says in verse 10. For I have many people in this city. Everybody see that? What he was saying, a lot of times we think, oh, that means he had a lot of people probably going to be encouraged if the Corinthians want to try to gang up on them. They could get out there and they could fight and beat everybody. No, that's not what he was saying. What he was saying was there are going to be many people saved in this city. There are going to be many lives changed and transformed in this city. God said, I know you're looking around and you're seeing all these temple prostitutes. You're seeing all these dudes that strung out, all these people making all these decisions, that wickedness and evilness. But I'm telling you, I got many people in this city. That should not surprise us because who did Jesus come for in the first place? He said, I didn't call, come to call the righteous, but I came to call who? Sinners. So he had 200,000 people sinning and grinning and having a good time. To me, that's a great place to do ministry. Can I just keep it real just for a minute? I got a few more minutes. Let me just keep it real for a minute. Yesterday, me and my family, we went on a trip. I'm going off road here, so everybody hang on. Y'all want me to tell you where we went? The Spring River. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? Listen, I done been there a few times fishing in the morning. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? In the morning, I done been. I messed around and waited till the afternoon. And the Spring River came alive. I did not know this. Let me, let me say it another way. I had been told this, but being told and experiencing, I've already said it, are two different things. Mind of my business trying to get my nap in the chair, family in the water, I hear music just loud rolling down. All of a sudden, I see all these floaty things and people on them, and 
going crazy, beads out everywhere. I'm like, what is going on, babies out there? I'm like, what is going on? And I'm going to be honest with you, my first inclination in my heart was anger. Man, these people crazy. What are they doing? My son even asked me, Daddy, what they doing? I said, son, they crazy. They've been drinking that drink. It got, it got, them, it's got them crazy, son. And I just had to tell him the truth. And inside, that was my initial reaction, because let me just tell you, I, I, I took it personal first. Here I am with my family. It ain't that I own the river, but they don't own it neither, so they ain't got to be acting like this. And I'm thinking, we're trying to have a good time. We're trying to fish. We're trying to do this. And initially, initially, that was my initial reaction, anger, all right? But as I sat on that bank, it hit me. Jamar, if you wasn't saved, you'd be right out there with them. Ringleader. The number one. And it hit me. It, it, hit, it hit me that I believe that God's got many people listening. They might not look like it right now, but neither did you before you were saved. And I just think about this, this, this encouragement to him to know that in this sinful, wicked place, God has many people. And my boy, he stayed there 18 months and did ministry, presence, promise, Productivity. I just happen to believe that God is not finished yet. reason why I say that is because we are still here. There's going to come a time when we get out of here. If you are not paying attention, we're about to get the upper, listen, upper room. We're going to the upper room. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? We're going. But until then, I believe God got many people he wants to save and change and transform. I got one more point. We got to get to moving. The last thing is, listen, if we're going to be serious about the business here, we got to recognize that I believe they're going to be consistent resistance or opposition. Let's look at verses 12 through 17. But while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sothenes, Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. Now, let me just hit this quickly. We have to be willing to accept the reality of consistent opposition. This opposition here, I'm just going to speak of what's here. It took the form of political and physical abuse or opposition. I believe that the same is going to be true in our day, political and physical opposition. That doesn't mean those are the only types, but those are what I want to deal with here. First, we see politically, you notice what the Jews d desired to do. And the text says that they brought him before Galileo, that he was a proconsul, he had come into the region. And so what he was trying to do is he was trying to make the Christians at odds with the law. 
And so thus now we'll be able to put them at opposition with each other to create friction down the line. Now, Galileo's his decision is a big one here when he says, listen, I'm not willing to make a ruling. What he's what he is saying to them is they have every right to exist and to do what they do just as you do. That's a big decision. OK, we're going to see as history moves on that it didn't stay like that. But right now, in this moment and this season of the church's life is a big decision so the gospel could continue to move. So so he was trying. They were trying to create that issue. But what I want you to see, though, is that in this in this section here, we should not be looking to the world to protect us, though. We, we, sh- we should not be looking to the world to protect us, because did, did you notice Whenever they didn't get their way, they just all went home and said, well, well, we'll catch up with you next time. Is that what happened? No, that is not what happened. There was a new synagogue leader. Why did they have to get a new synagogue leader? Somebody tell me. Because the old one got saved. Y'all remember that, bro? Christmas, y'all remember that? Okay, I just want to make sure y'all are reading the same Bible I'm reading. The, the, the old one gave his life to Jesus, okay? So then they got a new brother. They got a new brother, Sosthenes. And notice this, whenever he is, he, he is beaten, they take him and they start beating him right in front of the proconsul, right in front of the man, right in front of the one that's at, on the beamer seat, the judgment seat. And what did he do? In the verse 17. He was not concerned. Everybody see that right there? He was not concerned. So what I'm telling you is that in this world, persecution of Christians is the number one. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if anybody told you this. The most marginalized group of individuals in this world are those who belong to Jesus. Number one, not even close. Most deaths, not even close. But here's what I'm saying. Most of the time we're looking and we're thinking, oh, the government, they're going to do something about this. They're going to do something about this. Look at this text right here. He didn't do anything then. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Not going to happen now. But guess what? There is a time coming. There is one who sits on the throne. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God, the prayers that we pray for those who are being oppressed, those who are being, they're being heaped up. The picture in, in Revelation is that it's in a bowl, right? And they're going to come a time in history where that bowl is going to get dumped out on the world. And all the mess and everything that's going on is judgment because of the way believers have been treated. I know it might look like we're losing right now, but tell me, look at the back of the book. Just look at the back of the book and it's going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Now, can I quickly say to you two things in closing? We have to remember that opportunity and opposition go together. The Apostle Paul knew it. Let me just read it to you what he said in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Y'all ready for it? 1 Corinthians 16, 9. This is what he says there. He says, for a what kind of door? wide door of effective service has been opened to me. Everybody see that? Conjunction and there are what? Many adversaries. Everybody see that? We, we should not think any different. That's what he's talking about. Listen, I got a wide open door. There are a bunch of things, opportunities going on, but there are many, in, there are many people that are against me. Now, can I just tell you, let me encourage you here for a minute. The only person that you should be worried about that's against you is God. You might have a lot of other adversaries, And you should expect adversaries. But if God is your adversary, then you need to change what you're doing. But if if your adversary is a government or or individual or help, whatever that is, you keep right on doing what God has called you to do. There are many adversaries. 
18 months he, he stayed. Now, can I give you the reason why? Y'all want to know why there's so much pressure? You want to know why I believe the enemy stirred to mess up in Corinth? The text already told us that there were, there were Jews and Greeks that were believing and many Corinthians, many Corinthians, right? Let, let me just read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. You, you want to know why I believe there's so much heat, so much pressure, so much pushback, so much difficulty? Y'all ready for it? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be, do not be deceived. Now, he can give us a list. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty good list. All right. Y'all ready for this? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Let's keep rolling. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor, nor revilers, nor swindlers. What, what will inherit the kingdom of God? They will not inherit it. Verse 11, this is why it's so much heat, though. This is why it's so much pressure. Y'all ready for this? Such, say it with me, were. Everybody see that word? Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Meaning the reason why so much pressure, so much mess, so much, all that list that I just listed out there, meaning that God was saving and changing people from all these backgrounds, homosexuals and fornicators and adulterers and slanderers and drunkards, and he was saving their lives, the only one that can do it. That, that is why we get the pressure we get. Whenever we go into a campus or we go into a room or we go into a place and we tell the people, just like God, he loves every single one of them. Everyone on that list and the one that's not named on the list have his love, have his attention. But you don't get to inherit the kingdom. You don't get to go to heaven. You don't get to have an eternal life. And so thus the message that we bring in the spirit of God, the son of God will save you and change you. And you can have a word in you. you we were this. We're drunkards. We're adulterers. We're homosexuals. We were fighters. We were by nature children of wrath. And it's the only one that changes. And that is why we keep getting all the pressure, all the pushback, all the things that want to make us quit because we're the only ones that carry the message to redeem and save and change. That, that, that's, that's, that, that's it. And so we see here in Corinth, he experienced very difficult times. But can I tell you, he didn't quit. And neither can we. I don't, I don't know your story. I don't know where you come from, but this is what I know. Jesus wants to write you something in. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to put a were in there. The question is, have you been willing to surrender your life to him, to be changed and transformed? The Bible says if you'll call out to him, what we call communication with God, prayer, that he'll change your life. He'll save you. He'll change your life. He'll use you if you'll be willing to surrender to him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you, and we thank you. And God, I'm thankful for your word today. And I pray, God, you'll help us to be faithful.
to the mission before us. And Lord, I just happen to believe that in our lives at every turn, at every turn, Lord, when we see challenge and difficulty because of the good news spreading and changing lives, Lord, we should expect that opposition. We should expect it. Lord, whenever our lives are to see people made whole, made well, Lord, that opposition might come in our marriages, might come in our kids, might come on our jobs. Might, Lord, we, we, we are a threat. But I'm just thinking about what one brother said. I read it this week in a commentary. It says, Satan doesn't kick a dead horse is what he said, Lord. And not just, Lord, the enemy is always trying to deter us, to distract us, discourage us. So, God, I pray we wouldn't give him an inch. But, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would trust you. And, Lord, if there's anyone here, they've never given their life to you, that today would be the day that they would surrender, that they would be changed, that, God, you would work in our life and give them the eternal hope and future. Lord, for us, help us to be bold. Help us, Lord, to look to you and nobody else. Understand that in this life, Lord, the governments of this world, Lord, they turn a blind eye. Just like Sosthenes, Lord, the way in which they did him, they just let him, let him be beaten. But, Lord, when we read in your word, even he was saved. Even Sosthenes was saved. So, God, I just pray that you would work and move. As we go into the time of reflection and response, Lord, I pray you would speak to us and be pleased with our worship and response. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me? I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service time. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media, at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time, right here at Word Baptist Church.